the book of John, chapter 4. We will not make it all the way through John 4 today, <laughs> but we will begin. And the theme is learning evangelism from the master evangelist. In one sense, the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is a book about evangelism. God seeking and saving a lost, dying world of human beings who are alienated from him. Yeshua's arrival on earth can be understood as a great evangelistic mission. Evangelism is very, very important. Proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the good news, trying to introduce people to Yeshua must be at the center of who we are and what we do. Each one of us is to be an evangelist. Yeshua was the greatest evangelist of all. In this part of the divinely inspired book of John, John gives us lessons in evangelism from the master evangelist. Yeshua had been in the Judean countryside. News reached him that the Pharisees, who were very influential religiously and politically, the Pharisees knew that Yeshua was becoming more popular than John the Baptist. And John, this great prophet, was immensely popular. Yeshua is now becoming more popular. The leadership of the Pharisees already did not like the young rabbi. And learning about Yeshua's growing popularity intensified their dislike of him. And so, perhaps to avoid a confrontation, Yeshua left Judea, which was closer to the center of the power of the Pharisees, and he headed north to Galilee, where he was from. Verse 1. Yeshua knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Yeshua himself didn't baptize them. His disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Samaria. The Samaritans were descendants of Jewish people from the northern kingdom of Israel, combined with the peoples from the nations that the Assyrians imported to that area after they conquered Israel around 722 B.C. So they were a mixture of Jews and other peoples. The Samaritan religion reflected this mixture. It was a mixture of Torah and the false religious ideas that came from the pagan nations. The religious center of the Samaritans was not Jerusalem, but Mount Gerizim, close to Sychar, where this event that we will read about takes place. 
The Jewish people knew that the religion of the Samaritans was a perversion of the true religion, compromised, mixed with error. And so the Jewish people distanced themselves from the Samaritans. And for your information, a small community of Samaritans still exist to this very day. I think the number is somewhere around 5,000 Samaritans. A lot lower, Rabbi Glenn says. Uh, Some years ago, we had a a Samaritan visitor uh, came and spoke at Shema, and at that time, there were about 600 Hmm. I thought he said 5,000, but that's okay. Very 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 small. small. And yes, there probably still are some good Samaritans. (laughs) Verse 5. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Yeshua, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Notice the humanity of Yeshua. Tired, long walk, weary, sitting beside the well around noon. John has given us the information we need to understand what happens next. Verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Yeshua said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Yeshua, you are a Jew, And I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Rabbis Glenn and Jerry, Yeshua's attitudes towards women and Samaritans was radically different than from the cultural norms of his day. Let's talk about that and... Talk about what this teaches us about Yeshua. Rabbi Glenn, why don't you start us off? Well, the first thing to note is that uh, Yeshua chose to go directly through Samaria on his way to Galilee when he could have done what many, many religious Jews did at that time, and that is go out of their way to go around Samaria. In fact, geographically, it would add almost a whole day's journey just to avoid Samaria. But that shows the depth of the contempt that existed uh, between the Judeans and Samaritans. And Yeshua was not going to have any of that. He went right on into Samaria. So it shows that uh, he doesn't doesn't have the prejudices and the contempt that, uh, that others had. In addition to that, this woman falls, you know, there's sort of three strikes against her with Yeshua interacting with her for a religious Jewish person at this time. First of all, she's a woman, and Yeshua is a religious Jewish man on his own. 
typically religious men at this time, and kind of like today for a lot of people, would not necessarily interact with a woman on her own like this. The second issue is that she's a Samaritan. You know, again, she's kind of wacky. She believes in a false version. I always kind of relate. I kind of think of the Samaritans sort of like how we view the Mormons today. You know, the Samaritans will claim that they're part of the Jewish community and Mormons will claim that they're, you know, our Christian neighbors. But when you start investigating their beliefs, it's a lot of error mixed with some truth. And there's a lack of association going on there. So again, as a religious Jewish leader, as a young rabbi, he, you know, most religious Jewish people would not be interacting with a Samaritan. And then finally, as we'll see, she's also a woman with a reputation in her community. There's some speculation of her being here on her own around noon. There's some supporting uh, documents that say that this may have shown that she was despised by the other women who may have gone there in the morning. It's speculation, but clearly, as we'll see, you know, Yeshua knows something about this woman's reputation supernaturally. So she's a morally compromised person. She's a woman on her own. She's a Samaritan. And yet, Yeshua disregards that to have a genuine, proper interaction with her. And so this teaches us again about Yeshua, that he's willing to cross these lines in appropriate ways to reach marginalized people. And I guess finally, I would just add that he treated her as an individual. And it is our tendency sometimes to treat people not as individuals, but as just part of whatever institution we associate them with. And we do wrong when we do that. So Rabbi Yeshua was so different from other rabbis of that time, going through Samaria, uh, talking to this woman, this Samaritan woman, uh, I don't think another rabbi of his day would have done that, uh, asks her for help, uh, please give me a drink. He is radically going against the cultural norms of his day. Uh, rabbi Jerry, Rabbi Glenn, any lessons for us about uh, going against some of the cultural norms of our day that aren't right? Well, I think it's a lesson for us that we need to be mindful of reaching across. Every, you know, we believe that every single human being needs Messiah Yeshua, right? To the Jew first and the Gentile, as Romans says. But that's every human being, which means including people we might not like or like to even be seen associating with. You know, I think in our day, uh, one of the things in, in our country, in our culture, is political leanings. Um, we might not want to, if we tend to lean conservative, we may not want to be around somebody who is hardcore liberal progressive, who's a socialist or a communist. or What's the acronym you use, Rabbi Lauren? The ASP? ASP. The ASP. A Atheist, socialist, pervert. Right. <laughs> all three of those groups of people, and if you fall into all three, need the gospel as well. And again, as we'll see, there's an appropriate and inappropriate way to interact with people, but we can't just say, well, they fall into this acronym or it, I don't want to be seen even interacting with these people, so I'm going to avoid them. Um, Yeshua was willing to do it, and he sets the example for us. He did so without joy. He, he associated with sinful people, but he didn't sin with them. 
uh, and there's a distinction to be made. You know, some cultural norms are useful and good, but we are citizens of another kingdom. And so we shouldn't look to the culture to inform our thought processes or our actions, but rather we should look to God's word. Um, Islam is a huge presence here in Metro Detroit. There's, what, 500,000, 600,000 people from Arab, Middle Eastern backgrounds, most of whom are Islamic. And there's not a lot of mixing going on <laughs> between Christians and Muslims, Jews and Muslims. We tend to isolate uh, ourselves from, you know, Muslims not ha have a lot of social interaction, like what was going on between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. So this is an encouragement to not give into that kind of isolation uh, and be willing to interact with others that, we're, that we don't consider, you know, like us. Uh, but we have something very important that they need to hear. Verse 10, Yeshua replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Living water. So Yeshua frequently used everyday things that were easy for people to understand, in this case, water, in other cases, things like wind or yeast or salt, food, water, sowing and reaping, darkness and light. He used simple, common, everyday things that people understood to try to help people understand spiritual truths that are harder for us to understand. He did that here. Water, living water. Notice how Yeshua redirected the conversation from water to himself and to living water. Uh, Rabbi Glenn, what is living water and what was Yeshua trying to do talking about living water? Well, the expression living water at the time could simply refer to clean moving water capable of sustaining life or potable water, but it was also a metaphor for the work of God within a human being by his spirit, as Yeshua would later use it when he was at the temple at Sukkot, and he spoke of living waters pouring forth from within a person's innermost being, uh, if we put our faith in him. And he was, I believe, alluding to Isaiah 44. What Yeshua was attempting to do here was to help this woman understand who he is. Uh, he is God's anointed one. And that what he had to offer her was of infinitely more value <laughs> than the water of that well. Then I was thinking, boy, you know, if, if offering one of Yeshua's little ones even a cup of cold water, you know, or in his name, giving somebody a cup of cold water, imagine the opportunity she had in that moment to offer him some water. What a, what a great opportunity. But she didn't understand yet who he was. And that was the pivotal issue, not this water, that water. It's who he is. 
who he is and what he is capable of doing for us uniquely, right? So the living water is the spirit of God, the presence of God, the spirit of God living in us, refreshing us uh, like water refreshes you. You know, without water, (laughs) you die. Uh, Yeshua is able to give us spiritual refreshment. Um, The Spirit of God, the presence of God within us. Notice that Yeshua did not answer her question directly. Instead, he took control of the conversation and redirected it to himself. This is a really important principle of evangelism. And remember the theme is Yeshua, the great evangelist, and we are learning from the master evangelist. Yeshua took control of the conversation, directed it to himself. If you only knew who you were talking to and what I could give you, you would ask me for living water. And what I am trying to communicate to all of us is that we need to do the same in the conversations with people that God brings uh, to us. Uh, Too often we talk about all kinds of, you know, I don't know, secondary issues, unimportant issues, and we need to be aware that people's greatest need is to be in touch with Yeshua and believe in him, know him, be filled with his spirit. And so... We want to take control of conversations like Yeshua did, redirect it to him. Rabbi Glenn, Rabbi Jernick, any thoughts about that? Well, I think, you know, I, I definitely agree with you, Rabbi Lauren. Um, I always think of, there's a great book on this, on this style from uh, Randy Newman, a uh, Messianic Jewish believer called Questioning Evangelism. I love it. And he talks about this at length, talking about these passages as well. And asking questions, leading questions to provoke conversation. I mean, even the way, right, Yeshua provokes her curiosity. If you only knew, you would ask me this and I would give you living waters. Well, a normal curious person, if they're engaged, is going to say, well, what do you mean by that? Tell me more, right? They may not mean like, oh, give me that water, but like, what are you talking about? This is weird. It's interesting. I want to know more. Let's talk. And that's what she does, right? So she, he, it's not that he's trying to slam her with knowledge or domineer over her in this moment. He's just, he understands human nature. He obviously understands her very well. And he's banking on human curiosity and, you know, wanting to have a little conversation here about this. And I think that's one of the lessons for us is being willing to ask questions, to listen, to respond. He is genuinely engaged with her in this conversation. I would add also that when we are talking to people about the Lord, or wanting to anyway, uh, and people are prone to try to change the subject or get off topic um, because he makes us uncomfortable. But the real key, I think, here for us as evangelists is to remember it's about him, not about us. We're not trying to prove that we are this, that, or the other thing. So frequently you may find yourself having to redirect the conversation to Yeshua. Listen, that's fine and well. We can talk about the fact that I keep kosher, don't keep kosher, what have you, but this is not about me. This is not about food. This is about the Messiah. 
Or say you're in a conversation with a ASP person, uh, person atheist, socialist, uh, you know, pervert, <laughs> and they're going to ask you, so did you vote for Donald Trump? Are you going to vote for Donald Trump? Like Yeshua, you don't answer that question. <laughs> you redirect it in some way back on the topic that you want to discuss. Oh, if you only knew uh, Yeshua, he is so much greater, so much more wonderful than J Donald Trump, Joe Biden, any politician that you could ever possibly think of, right? Something like that. You don't respond, you know, are you a Trump supporter? Because that, like, ends the conversation. You redirect it to Yeshua in some way. And be creative about it. Funny you should talk about elections because elections are all about individuals making a choice and you have a choice to make about Yeshua. <laughs> the woman did not understand what Yeshua said. Like most of the people Yeshua spoke to and used everyday things to help them understand spiritual truths didn't understand. Verse 11, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our father Jacob, our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? All right, so this woman reasoned that Jacob was one of the greatest men who ever lived, which is true. Jacob dug a well that he and his sons and animals used, and that well was still producing good water almost 2,000 years later. For Yeshua to give better water, she reasoned that he would have to be greater than Jacob, who was a great man of God. Did Yeshua think he was greater than the great patriarch Israel? She also said something interesting, that little phrase, our ancestor Jacob. Uh, Rabbi Glenn, Rabbi Jerry, let's discuss the principle of finding commonality. Our ancestor Jacob. And also this woman's boldness. Well, so the Samaritans believe that they were descended from Joseph, who is descended, obviously, from Jacob. And so there's, you know, and the Jewish people would obviously refer to Jacob as their ancestor as well. So there's this point of commonality, but also an assertion of her Samaritan heritage here. So she's, you know, there's a boldness to this. There's a drawing of a line. It is kind of like the Donald Trump thing. She's kind of redirecting this to a really hot button issue of her time of this divide between Jews and Samaritans, which she's going to keep coming back to. And there's also the implication in this of Yeshua will say, no, of course I'm not greater than Father Jacob, right? Of course he is, and he will assert that in his own way. But what's going on here is she is genuinely interested in having a conversation under the noonday sun about what she, she was talking about. And so he continues to engage with her. And that's, again, a lesson for us. If we reach out with some feelers, we're trying to start a conversation, if they're just immediately shutting the door and refuse to have any conversation, that's one thing. 
but she is willing to talk with him. But she isn't willing to just go along with whatever he's saying. She's pushing back. She's bold. She's asking things back and forth. So there's, there's um, two sides of this conversation going on. Uh, you mentioned that the Samaritans were from Joseph. Well, they were from Joseph, one of, you know, but also from the other t- northern tribes as well. Yes. So I just wanted to, you know, clarify yes. that. Rabbi Glenn, any thoughts about our ancestor Jacob and finding commonality in this woman's boldness? I think the principle of finding commonality can serve us very well in evangelism. Let's find something about which we both feel passionately. Let's find something about which we agree. Um, it can create a connection that is more difficult to break when it comes to areas of disagreement. And this woman was the one who, was, uh, who brought up the issue of commonality. So that was good. Yeshua responded to her, but did not answer her question directly if he was superior to Jacob. Instead, he told her more about what he is uniquely able to give human beings. Verse 13, Yeshua replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Again, this water is not water, this living water. It's the presence of God. It's the spirit of God himself living in us and making us alive and refreshing us and you know, being there with us and making us alive to God and aware of God and bringing a, a joy and a peace and a hope that the world cannot give. And Yeshua is uniquely able to give human beings this spiritual life and eternal life. How do we get that spiritual life, that refreshing now in this life and life that lasts forever? We must know who Yeshua is, right? Must know who he is, transfer our loyalties to him, uh, follow him, Just one, <clears throat> one comment on this. Also, a correction. I did mean to say Jacob, not Joseph, uh, in the last passage. I was reading my note. It was from Josephus, so I conflated my reading. But um, I think, you know, it's, it's this. We, we receive it through encountering God and, right, and transforming our lives because of it, transferring our loyalties to him. And this is the opportunity. I mean, she's literally being presented with this opportunity with the Son of God. And, and Nicodemus as well was presented with this opportunity. He will we'll see respond later on. But each of us are presented in, a, in its own way with that opportunity as well. And we either choose to follow him or choose not to. There is, we can argue about politics and all these other things that get distracted with side issues. But ultimately it's a choice of am I following the Son of God or am I not? And we have to make that choice wisely. The woman wanted this living water that Yeshua was offering, but she still did not understand what he was really talking about. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here. 
to get water. Water weighs about eight pounds a gallon. Uh, I understand it was primarily the job of women to, you know, carry the water, go to the well, carry the water back into the village. That is hard work. Hot day, hard work, water is eight pounds a gallon. You know, five gallons of water is 40 pounds. Schlepping that under, you know, that is hard work. I'll never be thirsty and I won't have to come here to get water anymore. Rabbi Glenn, what does this uh, response tell us about people? We're kind of thick. <laughs> She's not getting it, <laughs> right? Uh, and, you know, we look back and say, what's the matter with this woman? She's just not getting it. But I think we probably would have been just about as clueless ourselves. Humanity is lost. Uh, we are not spiritually uh, insightful, naturally speaking. We need an intervention. That's the condition of humanity. And humanity is focused on the immediate. Yeshua is trying to lift up her sight to the eternal, to God, to spiritual transformation, the spirit of God living in you, living forever. She's focused on the immediate, immediate gratification. I don't want to have to come here and get water anymore, and I don't want to be thirsty again, right? That is human nature. Verse 16, go and get your husband, Yeshua told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Yeshua said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. This is funny and um, powerful. Why did Yeshua suddenly tell this woman to Go get her husband, Rabbi Jerry. Well, you know, there, there are some cultural norms here. You know, he's teaching her. It would have been appropriate for him to ask for her to bring her husband here. But there's something deeper going on. There's a test here of how will she respond? You know, she, she's cagey in her answer, but she is honest. And, he com and while it's funny, he does commend her for her honesty. And what, we, and what we see going on here is once she's honest with him, he demonstrates his supernatural insight and starts revealing even more about who he is. But it requires her to respond to him and to respond to his question because, um, and his statement. Because while he might not always answer her questions, he expected her to respond to what he had to say. She was sort of honest with him. I don't have a husband. Technically, that's true. She's telling the truth, but not the whole truth. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, um, he's gauging her willingness to be honest with him. And when somebody is open with you, when they're honest with you, uh, it shows that it's worth your effort to give more time to to engage with them, to teach, to persuade. So God, God does test us that way. Are we willing to be forthcoming? Yeshua supernaturally knew that she had had five husbands. Wow. 
and was living with a man currently that she was not married to. So what does this teach us um, about this woman, her colorful marital history? And what does this teach us about a man and a woman who live together but are not married? Well, I mean, it, it teaches us a couple of things. First of all, it teaches us she was probably not widowed five times. She was divorced five times and was now most likely and was now married to this man who didn't feel like he had to marry her, you know, maybe because of her reputation, maybe something else. But clearly she was in a very sinful environment, which even to the Samaritans, like under their ethnic code, would have been considered wrong as well. Um, so she's living, you know, she's living this life and clearly God does not approve of this. Um, you know, the way he says this, you aren't even married to the man you're with right now. It's bad enough. You're divorced five times, but now you're shacking up with somebody that you aren't even married to is what Yeshua was saying here. Um, and that's a problem. Uh, we don't know that uh, she was divorced. She could have been widowed five times. She could have been, but the implication here in the text is that, she, the fact that this man was not marrying her and that she was okay living with him, there's, there's, a, there's a subtext of morality going on here. That is so common today to just, right, the, talk about a cultural norm. It is the cultural norm, right? TVs, movies, everything. If you like someone, you just move in, you sleep with them, right? First date, second date. I mean, it's, talk about perversion. That is perversion. It is sick. It is twisted. And just because a man and a woman are living together and somewhat committed to each other, that God does not approve of that. And the sad thing is, in many evangelical churches today, and certainly among Jewish people today, uh, many people are doing this, right? It is wrong. We have to go against this cultural norm. We have to say, no, that is not right. to have sex with someone without making a, 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 a vow, a commitment, a covenant is dishonoring to God. He opposes it. Stop doing it. Rabbi Glenn, any final thoughts? And yet, knowing all of this, Yeshua willingly um, spoke to this woman and engaged with this woman. So we should uphold biblical standards at the same time we are called to evangelism. And so we're not called to condemn that person for their lifestyle, but we are called to tell them about the one who is the water of life. And when a person gives their life to the Lord, transfers their loyalty to Yeshua the Messiah, the other things will tend to fall in line. But we can't expect unbelievers to act like believers. And so Yeshua is engaging with her, knowing this sinful history, uh, because he understands that she has the potential to be so much more than what she is. Not condemn, uh, one final comment, not condemn her. He wasn't condemning her, but he was standing up for the truth. He was uh, mildly rebuking her. And we need to do the same thing. Even if someone's not a believer, and they're doing something wrong, we say, you know, that's wrong. There's a difference between condemning and affirming something. 
You know, in the sense that he doesn't condemn her, but he doesn't affirm her life choices here. He I think context says. dictates this. If you're meeting this person for the first time and, you know, um, do are you, at what point does high, shining a light on their sin help versus saying, you know, Yeshua has something uh, for each of us, something so much better than even what we consider the best thing in the world. And um, you're involved in this sin. It is a sin, but there's something so much better awaiting you. So we can identify the thing without highlighting it per se. Thank you, Rabbi Glenn. Thank you, Rabbi Jerry.